Lord God. We thank you for how much you love us, Lord. We thank you that you will never leave our side, God. That there's nothing that will hold you back, Lord. No mountain you won't climb up, no shadow you won't light up, Lord. No wall you won't kick down, no lie you won't tear down, God, as you come after us, Lord. We love you, God, and we thank you. Amen. You can be seated. We'd like to uh, welcome all of our guests that are here online, and even those of you that aren't guests, if you're a regular around here, uh, welcome to you as well. Um, you can check out the QR codes if you want some information uh, on uh, what's going on around here at Sunrise or what is taking place uh, in the near future. You can click on the QR codes on the back of the seats. That'll give you plenty of information. That will also allow you to give. Um, as I once heard a preacher say when I was young, we need you to give till it hurts because we want to feel the pain. <laughs> that was a joke, people. Come on. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, the next thing on my list says do announcements. And from what I can gather, the announcements are revolving around small groups. So, Brenda, if you want to head this way, I'll go ahead and start. Uh, if you've been around here for a little while, you know that we're going to be starting kicking off our discovery groups next week. Uh, going to be shortening up the Sunday morning service just a bit. I believe we have to hold this down and turn this on. We're going to be shortening up the Sunday morning service just a bit uh, and then dismissing at about 1045 or so, and we're going to be having uh, donuts and then small groups meeting around uh, the church. There'll be a little more information next week. You'll have maps uh, for those of you that are helping us lead these groups. Uh, we've sent you out a little video so that shows you kind of what we're going to follow and, and the uh, process we're going to go through. Um, and I'm also going to be meeting with anyone who is interested, any of the group leaders that, has been, that have been contacted. If you're interested in actually running through one of these groups before next week, we're going to be meeting back in the student center, and we're going to experience one. So here's the thing. Um, we realize that everybody in the world in which we live, we're super busy, right? And it's kind of funny to me because I was a part of the move like early on in my ministry where we're like, Sunday school, blah, Sunday school, we need small groups, right? Um, but then now I'm kind of at the end of my ministry and I'm like, people are so busy that carving out another night of the week. And so what we're going to try is an experiment during Lent and we're going to see what it would look like to have some small groups that meet on site on Sunday morning. Those of you that are old, you're looking at me and probably if you were the people that fought people like me 20 years ago about moving from Sunday school to small groups, you can feel smug and superior right now. Um, but we're going to try to have some small groups, and they're going to be super simple, you guys. We're going to read the scriptures together, we're going to talk about the scriptures together, and we're going to ask ourselves just some really uh, pertinent diagnostic questions. Uh, so we're excited about what the Lord is going to do uh, in our midst during the Lenten season through those. So again, um, yeah, discovery group starting next week after the morning service, um, and yeah, I'll turn it over. And there's a new uh, women's small group, and I'm going to turn it over to Brenda to talk about that for a minute. Hello. You've probably heard the phrase, you're blessed to be a blessing. But what if your deepest shame and hurt could become a form of redemption in someone else's life? Your pain is part of God's redemptive work. My name's Brenda Rasdahl. I'm married to Joel. He's working the slide back there. And we have two lovely boys sitting on the beanbags over there, Evan and DJ. And we've been a part of Sunrise for probably over a year now. And we just went through the latest partnership class. But I'm starting a small group. It's going to be every other Wednesday beginning March 1st until June 7th for women. And we're going to examine the timelines of our lives, focusing on ages 0 to 8, when um, our brains were formed and wired, and any grief or traumatic events during that time. We'll look at how we give and receive love, or our attachment styles. We'll learn about imago kiro, or the image of God in us, and we'll care for that image. And we'll also talk about anxiety, something that's very prevalent in our culture right now. And we'll... Um, figure out how to regulate it and use some techniques to do so. And before this announcement, I was trying to breathe and get my heart rate down and move around a little bit so that my anxiety was low enough to give this announcement. So 
Um, I hope that you guys can join me on Wednesdays. Um, there's more information on the website. Um, online, you can contact me. I'll be at the back of the church after the service if you want to talk to me. Um, or you can also contact the church and get my phone number, email, text, whatever. Um, and I'd love to answer any questions that you have. So I'd love to see you on Wednesday nights. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Brenda. Yeah, just set it here. All right. I think, Joel, that's it. That's it, right? All right. That's all the slides we have. So we're going to take about three minutes and... Uh, Julie, the kids are being dismissed today, correct? All right, the kids can be dismissed to Children's Church. Three minutes, stand up and greet some people and act like you like your neighbors. All right, away you go. All right, well, that was better than normal. You guys were all anticipatory here today. So today, we're going to be finishing up uh, our series on the Sunrise Pillars, those core values and things that sort of shape how we do ministry. And today is the second installment uh, of the last movement of that series called Be Evangelistic. And today's message is going to be talking about a journey toward becoming a winsome witness. Last week, we looked and we saw that being evangelistic was about embodying the evangel. It was about the gospel of Jesus Christ, an event that has changed everything, a message that we've been given to communicate, and joy that's brought to those who receive it. Today, we're going to be talking about how we communicate and, and how we, we embody that witness to the world that's around us. And I was doing this, I thought about the fact that, well, over the last 25 years or so, part of my, my job or my vocation has been to stand in front of people like you and to proclaim the euangelion of God, to preach the gospel to the people of God. And so I, I started thinking, how many sermons have I preached and how many sermons have I listened to over my lifetime? Well, it, it's interesting because for, for me, it, it's quite a bit. I grew up in a, in, in a home where we had Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night church. Can I get a witness for the Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night churchgoers? Anybody there, right? Um, I went to a Christian school that had chapel. Then I went to a Christian college that had chapel every day, right? Then I went to seminary three times and listen to, to messages and sermons over and over again. But a quick bit of math, place the number of sermons that I have heard somewhere north of 3,000. And that doesn't include the 1,200 or so that I've preached myself over the last 25 years. Of all of those sermons, if put on the spot, I'm somewhat confident that I could recall with reasonable clarity about 50 and that includes the ones I've preached. <laughs> like, don't actually back it up more than like two or three weeks because I forget what I've said two or three weeks. Of the ones I can remember, I remember Dr. John Smith. Dr. John Smith, a mountain of a man, he graduated from high school with my mother, was one of the biggest rabble-rousers of Sissonville High School in Sissonville, West Virginia. God radically saved him, and he started and uh, pastored a little a little church that became a mega church in a place called Taze Valley, West Virginia. And I remember Dr. John Smith standing in front of my high school commitment, declaring these words over 18-year-old Dennis Moles. Find yourself. You're in there somewhere. I recall the day Dr. Tony Evans ascended the stage at Cedarville University that had been a car wreck that had knocked out power to the campus. And we gathered, all of 2,000 plus of us at the time, gathered in the chapel that held about 1,800 people sitting in the aisles in the back. If the fire marshal could have, right, if the fire marshal could have seen, he would have really shut us down. But I remember Dr. Paul Dixon ascending the stage first, and, and we could barely hear his squeaky little Southern Ohio voice say, I've asked Dr. Evans what he wants to do, and Dr. Evans wants to preach. And I don't remember the content of Dr. Evans' message, but I remember, I remember Tony Evans stepped up to that pulpit and he quoted his passage. And for 45 minutes, he preached the horns off a of billy goat. And I remember being challenged in that moment about where the scriptures talk about being ready or being instant in season and out of season and how 
Dr. Evans had done his work well. So that when the moment arose, the circumstances surrounding him did not prohibit the proclamation of the euangelion of God. I remember Paul Dixon preaching at my college commencement where he opened to the Psalms and he challenged several hundred recent college graduates to understand that it's about our times in God's hands. Or the day at Our Daily Bread Ministries, where some of you may remember this, where Alice Matthews climbed behind the pulpit and she talked about the Hebrew word chayel, which is only translated, which is translated as valiant except for one time, as it, and that's when it's translated in Proverbs 31. And Alice talks specifically to the ladies in the audience that day, and she says, God is calling you to be virtuous, yes, but God is also calling you to be valiant. And I remember being struck by that as a girl dad that says, I want my daughter to be strong and valiant and powerful. Or when Andy Crouch had a grand piano set on the stage at Mars Hill Bible Church and he climbed behind that piano and he played Bach's Prelude in C as he was talking about what it means to be an image bearer of God. And I remember him closing that message with this simple illustration and saying the ultimate goal of some eggs is to become chickens. The ultimate goal of other eggs is to become omelets. But for an egg to become an omelet, it takes an image bearer. And I was challenged in that moment that there are certain things that only image bearers of God can do. And one of those is declare the euangelion of God. Dr. Sam Rodriguez challenging several recent graduates at Biola and Talbot School of Theology to be light. The Father's Day message a few years back that this father was able to preach with his son. If pushed, I can remember a few more. But here's what I've discovered going through this exercise over the last several days. I remember moments more than I remember messages. Are you with me? I remember the moment that Reverend Terry Robinson stood in front of us and he implored those of us who were heading into the ministry to make disciples. I remember that day And I remember that the text that Terry preached was the text that we're going to look at this morning. He began his message in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. And he said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And Terry then skipped over to the, the other rendition of what we call the Great Commission in Acts. And he said, but you will be, receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The call that day was clear. It was clarion. It still rings in my mind that the main responsibility of those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus is to make disciples. So I remember clearly Terry, Terry talking about the main imperative of the Christian life. If, if, if we go back and we were to read Matthew 28 again, we would see that it says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. And most of the time when we see this passage or we read this passage, we think, okay, Jesus is God. God is sending his disciples on an errand. It's about, it's about the going. It's about the working. It's about the striving. It's about the doing. All of these kinds of things. But the reality is, is that the main verb in the Greek isn't go. Go is simply a participle, the main verb is to make disciples. As we think through these two verses, 
I want to remind us of a few very important points that, that maybe today might be a moment where the euangelion of God, the gospel as it's preached afresh to God's people, where there might be a moment where the Holy Spirit would, would remind you of something very important. Some very important things, I think, that come from these two passages of Scripture. The first is this, is that evangelism or the evangel is foundationally God's work. We said it last week, and I want to remind everyone this week, is that this, this process or this, this role that we play in speaking and communicating the good news that was accomplished and fulfilled by Jesus Christ is not something that we have to accomplish. We are witnesses of a true event that has changed everything. So take some pressure off yourself. It's not by your authority and it's not by your power or mine or anyone else's. You see, the, the evangel is rooted in the authority of Christ. All authority, Jesus says, on heaven and on earth is given to me. Therefore, make disciples. It's by the authority of Jesus and it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power, Luke says to the church in Acts, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, the authority. The authority and the power don't come from ourselves or our eloquence or our knowledge or our understanding. They come from God himself. The second thing that we see, evangelism is foundationally God's work, but evangelism is about discipleship, not conversion. The imperative here is to make disciples It's less, my friends, about an invitation to a club and more about an invitation to become a part of a family. You see, it's one thing to be an employee. It's one thing to be someone who is a member of an organization, right? It's one thing to be associated with a group, but it's quite another thing to be invited into and to become a part of a family. To know that as long as there are people that are surrounding you, whether they're family by blood or not, that there are people that are in your orbit, that as long as they are alive and have a roof over their heads, that you will have a family and you will have a home. See, evangelism isn't isn't so much about this idea of conversion, of getting a person from one place to another via transaction. It's about a an invitation to wayward sons and daughters to come home. When we celebrate the Eucharist, when we celebrate the Lord's table, we should be reminding everyone in that moment that this is the ongoing declaration, the ongoing sacrament of God, and that there is always room for another chair at the table of the Father. That there's always room for one more. You see, evangelism is foundationally God's work by Christ's authority and through the power of the Spirit. But it's about discipleship, not conversion. And because of this, discipleship is is a journey and not an errand. There's one main verb in Matthew 28, that's to make disciples, but there are also three participles helping verbs, if you will, that are that, that are circumstantial in nature. The first of these is the word go, and grammatically, uh, in the Greek here, it probably shouldn't be translated as go like it's an imperative, like go, give me a sandwich, go, buy me a coffee, right? Those kinds of of things, which, you know, I I wouldn't turn down a sandwich right now. (laughs) But the way that the word appears in the Greek, it probably should be translated more while you are going, or as you are on your way, or even having gone. It's this idea that Jesus has sent his disciples. The 12 have been sent and they have been commissioned. And it's not that he sent them down to the store to buy a gallon of milk. That you have something specific that you do, you accomplish, you come home, it's done. Right? But it's a journey that you've been invited on. It really fits in the culture of discipleship within the ancient culture because when a, when a rabbi would call someone to follow him, the invitation would be, as Jesus gave his disciples, come and follow me. And there were sort of two things that were intended about that, is that not just know what I know, but I'm inviting you to come and to, 
to, to learn what I know, but to be able to do what I do. When a first century rabbi was calling his disciples, that's what he was looking for. He was, he was not just looking for someone that he could teach the stuff about ministry or the information that he had in his mind. He was looking for someone that could actually do what he was doing. The invitation of Jesus here is to a journey, a lifelong journey. The assumption is, is that not that, the God, that God is saying, hey, go and do this and come back and then you're done. It's that he is inviting us to go in his name wherever we are going. So your office, your job, the people that you encounter, They're not projects to be fixed. They're not problems to be solved. They're people, image bearers of God, that God has placed in your path. And he has put you in that situation for his goodwill and his good purpose. Why? To declare the gospel. And you might say, well, well, Dennis, what about people like you that work with people that are already saved? Do you think that Dan and Corey and Julie and I need the gospel any less than anybody else in this world? No. Oh, we all need the gospel. Evangelism is an invitation to become someone, to become who God knows you to be. As you are going, make disciples. As you baptize, make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism, this, this initial act of obedience, this, this first move of sacramental grace. Baptism, this, this event that takes place that declares to the world that faith surrounds and has preceded the person that is being baptized. It's funny, I was sitting in a class at Calvin Seminary and Dr. Paul and Pendy, one of my favorite professors at Calvin made the statement, he said, faith always precedes baptism. And, and my dear friend Mitch, who was a Protestant Reformed pastor, shot his hand up in the air and me as the adult baptizer kind of turned and looked to see what, you know, the the ensuing fight that was going to take place. And Mitch said, well, Prof, what, what, no, what about infant baptism? And, and, and Dr. Impendi said, oh, Brother Mitch, faith of the parents always precedes the baptism of the child. You see, baptism is, is this indication that God has come in his grace to redeem and to save us. He said, so whether we baptize adults or whether we baptize babies, faith always precedes baptism. I was struck by this. I was struck with the fact that even as we baptize, whether it's an adult or whether it's a child, even as we go about fulfilling this admonition of God in the world, is that faith always precedes these acts on our part of receiving God's grace. You see, baptism is this, is this kind of this, this initial right by which we, we invite someone into the family. I remember, friends, one of these other moments, right? It wasn't a sermon, but it was a moment that I remember so vividly. It's that the Saturday morning after the Wednesday night that I had trusted Jesus, I was at a camp, and um, they invited all of us in, and my father was my pastor at the time, and I'll never forget as a six-year-old boy walking into the baptismal tank and standing there with my father as he declared and welcomed me into the family. I'll never forget looking up around, around that baptismal hole as we were, we were there, and I was standing with my dad, and I remember, and, and it's almost like the Hebrews where it talks about the great cloud of witnesses. I remember my grandfather standing here, and I remember him with his hanky crying as he was watching his grandson be baptized. I remember Uncle Henry shouting as I was coming out of the water. I remember so vividly that moment, right, because that was a moment where the euangelion of God met me in a way that forever changed me. You see, evangelism is about an invitation to become someone, and that someone is the person that God knows you to be. Evangelism is not just about becoming someone, but it's about a journey towards something. Teaching them to obey, Jesus says to his disciples, all that I've 
commanded you. Now, this may seem daunting at first, right, as we go and we think, okay, well, we've got to go and we've got to look through, and what are all the words of Jesus, and what are all the things that Jesus said, and what are all the commands that Jesus gave his disciples? And if we're, we're really robust, then we, well, we probably ought to search the entire Scriptures and look at the Apostle Paul and what he has to say, and James, and, and Jude, and Paul, and the other writers. We, we should probably include the Old Testament in this, and, and, and when we really get rolling and we think about, man, this idea of teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, it becomes crushing in its legalism until we remember that Jesus, when he was teaching his disciples, said that really all the law and the prophets hang on these two things. My friends, the journey that that the gospel is calling us toward is really a simple journey and it's a simple message and it really comes down to this, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love him and love your neighbor as yourself. And when Paul and James and Jude are, are, are delineating this out, they actually say, when it really comes down, when the rubber really meets the road, how do you know that you love God? Well, it's by loving your neighbor. Don't claim to love God if you don't love your neighbor. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Jesus said in John chapter 13, this is how the world will know that you are my disciples. How? If you love one another. I wonder what it would look like if we would just make it our business to say that, you know what, the best evangelistic tool we have is to love each other so relentlessly and so recklessly and so passionately that the world looks at us and says, why do you love people like that? And the answer would be very similar to the answer that Paul Gordon's granddaughter gave at his funeral. Paul Gordon passed away while I was a chaplain at Gordon Food Service, and, and his funeral was held at Calvary Church, and there were hundreds and hundreds of people there. And I watched as his, grand, his granddaughter came to the, to the pulpit, and she was telling the story of her grandfather, and this is what she said. She said, but one of the things that Grandpa would want you to know this morning is that if there was anything that ever attracted you to him, if there was anything that was ever light, anything that was ever a, a gravitational pull, if there was anything that mattered about him, he would want you to know that that wasn't him, that was Jesus coming out of him. You see, friends, the evangel is calling us towards something. It's calling us towards the love of God and the love of our neighbor. It's calling us to do what we see Jesus doing. It's calling us to eat with the people from the wrong side of the tracks. It's calling us to touch the people that have remained outside and untouchable. It's calling us to bring insiders or outsiders inside. It's calling us to learn and to imitate the way of the Savior. And the evangel... The evangel is about truth-telling that is winsome and not repellent. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it's, it says that when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. And it, says, it gives this sort of this list, right? In Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And one of the things I think, one of the mistakes I think that I've made probably for the vast majority of my life is that I was was convinced that it was more about the content of my telling than it was about the posture or the love in my telling. And the reality is, folks, is that we can do the right thing for the wrong reason and then therefore make the right thing the wrong thing. We can say the right thing in a way that is not winsome but repellent, and we can win an argument and lose a person. I wonder what would happen is that if that if we, you and me and us collectively, that we decided that, that our truth-telling was going to be winsome and not repellent. When Luke writes in, in Acts and says, but you will be my witnesses, the Greek word there he uses is martes. Does that sound familiar? It's the word that we get our word martyr from. You see, witness isn't about confidence, it's about dying to oneself. Witness isn't about having all of the right answers, it's about pointing people to Jesus. You see, witness is often 
not how we succeed or how we triumph, but how we bear up under persecution and oppression. It's about dying to yourself, not killing for what you believe in. I was talking to a friend this week, and one of the things that they said was that so often they would hear messages like this, and as a, as, as a homeschool teenager, they would look, at, look around and they would say, well, who in the world is in my orbit that I can actually tell these truths to? And the reality is, folks, is that if we understand the evangel, if we understand the gospel, that God is calling us to become someone, that it's not about an errand, but it's about a journey, that God has placed us and where he wants to place us, he's placed us where he has for the sake of the gospel, that he's calling us toward this neighbor love and love of God, that he's calling us to winsomely witness, to, to draw people in, that, that, that that is just as good for the homeschool teen as it is for the person who is living in... Um, living in abject sin. It's just as good for the monk as it is for the corporate executive. It's just as good for the person who finds themselves sitting in a church office as a pastor as it is for the public school teacher. It's just as applicable for me as it is for the person who makes their living tending bar. It's that being a part of the evangel is understanding that God has placed us where he has placed us for the sake of witnessing the good news. And sometimes these opportunities come in the most unexpected places and at the most unexpected times. There's one more sermon that I remember. It was an event, a moment that changed how I think about the gospel and and changed how I think about how we present the gospel to those that are around us. Greg was a visiting pastor. My, my, my dad was, was, was a pastor of a little church, um, and one of the elders uh, worked with Greg at one of the, 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 the plants, the, the chemical plants in, in, in uh, Charleston, and Greg was also a pastor at his church, and he had him come, and he, he spoke. And, and this was the first time that I had ever heard an African-American preacher, and I was mesmerized. And his cadence and the, the, the sing-song way in, in which he preached and, and how he engaged the congregation. But, but it wasn't Pastor Greg's delivery that stuck with me. It was a story. A story that he told at the end of his message. And the message, oddly enough, was about a journey that, or about an errand that turned into a journey. You see, Greg's wife, who had come and led worship that morning for us, had sent him on an errand, as many wives do to many husbands. And the errand was down to the grocery around the corner to to get some milk and some other things that they needed. And as Greg was entering into the supermarket, he noticed that there was a little boy standing outside of the of the doors, and the little boy was was crying and and and, and the Holy Spirit sort of pricked his heart and he said, Well, you know, what's going on? And he asked the little fellow, said, Hey buddy, what's What's going on? And and, and this little boy who was standing outside of the supermarket said that his mother had also sent him on an errand. But that when he had gotten the things that he had been told to get, he got up to the the counter and that he no longer had the money that his mother had given him to, to buy the things at the grocery store. And the little boy didn't know where they had gone or what had happened. And, and so Greg said, I was faced with this dilemma. What was I going to do? Because I had, the er- I had an errand of my own. And he said that, you know, my wife only trusts me with enough money to buy. So I didn't have enough money to buy everything. You know, I was given an allowance and I was sent on an errand. And he said, so I thought, well, maybe the, maybe the, the thing to do here is to pray. And so he got down on his, on his knees and, and talking to the little boy. He said, okay, well, buddy, here's, here's what I, I, I know this man and his name is Jesus. And Jesus knows everything, and he knows where your money is, and he knows where you've lost it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pray, and we're going to ask Jesus to help us find your money. Does that sound okay? And a little boy said, sure, mister, and they prayed, and Greg said, then he got up, and the real panic set in, and he was like, okay, Jesus, now what are you going to do if we don't find this kid's money? And so then the scripture came to his mind that said, faith without works is dead, and he was like, okay, we're going to retrace your steps through this grocery store. Where did you go? 
And as they retraced their steps, they, they went to the little section in the grocery store where there were, there were the little toys, where they were in, in the aisle with the little toys, and they looked, and lo and behold, there was the money that had slipped out of his pocket, and it was right under the little lip under that, and they found the money, and the little boy cheered, and Greg cheered, and they gave each other a high five, and they went their own way. And Greg said, he, as he had gathered all of his stuff, he headed outside of the supermarket, and the worship team can come to get our closing song. As they headed outside of the supermarket, they, um, they arrived, or, or he, 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 he got outside, and he saw the little boy standing with his, his little bags of groceries, and, and he wondered if there was something else that was wrong. And he looked at him and said, hey, buddy, what, what's, what's up? Is there something else that, that you need? And the little boy said, no, mister, I'm fine. Everything is okay. But before I went home, I just wondered, could you remind me one more time? What was that man's name who helped me find my money? Friends, I wonder. I wonder if the call on all of us isn't to be super Christians. It's to simply remind people of that man's name. Maybe it's folks that have never heard his name, and so we have to introduce him to Jesus. But maybe for most of us that live in this place, people know the name of Jesus. But because the church has so often been hurtful, maybe they've been hurt by the church, or, or maybe they've, they, they've, they've forgotten or they've gotten out. Maybe something has happened that has estranged them from Jesus. And maybe, just maybe, the most redemptive thing that you and I can do for those around us that we love is simply to treat them as image bearers, not as projects or problems. And as Pastor Greg did, to remind them of that man's name. Because he didn't just help that little boy find his money. He went to a cross. And he paid that little boy's sin debt to make him new, to redeem him, to give him life. And there is no human being that you will encounter as you go on your journey for whom two things are not true. This is one made in the image of God. And this is one for whom Christ died. So Father, we pray that you would meet us in this space. That you would help us to live the evangelism in such a way that your name would be made great and that you that you would give us moments moments of encounter with you whereby your authority and your power you would communicate your message through us it's in Jesus name we pray amen Will you sing with us again?
way of Jesus is simple. It's a way of love. Love for him and love for neighbor. And about having the courage to be on mission and to embody the evangel of God by declaring over people his love. That while we were still sinners, my friends, <laughs> God came looking and that he, no matter how fast or far we run, will run further and faster toward us. Amen? Be reminded there is an offering uh, bucket in the back. So if you have your gifts, please uh, give those. You can also do that online. Those of you that um, would like, that are going to be uh, leading uh, discovery groups that would like to stay, we're going to be doing trial run back in the student center here in just a few minutes, so I'll meet you back there. Should be about a half an hour or 40 minutes or so. Really, really a good time. Um, thank you, friends, for today. Uh, the spirit was sweet today, was he not? Um, as we go, I've had a lot of conversations over the last couple of weeks about what's going on. What's going on at Asbury? What's going on down at Cedarville? What's going on at Cornerstone? What's, what's going on at, at a lot of these colleges and a lot of these churches, right? The, the revival and what I think. This is what I think. Pass me not, O oh General Savior.
hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. My hope and my heart for each of you is that you would individually and that the church would collectively experience revival through the power of the Spirit and the authority of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Go in His peace.